Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Ryan Young, Senior Economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and uh, Larry Bell, Endowed Professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture and the author of many books. He also writes his column for uh, Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. It is September the 1st, can you believe it? And on this day in 1775, Richard Penn and Arthur Lee, representing the Continental Congress, presented so-called Olive Branch Petition to the Earl of Dartmouth. Britain's King George III, however, refused to receive the petition, which, written by John Dickinson, appealed directly to the king and expressed hope for reconciliation between the colonies and Great Britain. Dickinson, who hoped desperately to avoid a final break with Britain, uh, phrased colonial opposition to British policy this way, and here's a quote, Your Majesty's ministers persevering in their measures and proceeding to hold hostilities, open hostilities for enforcing them, have compelled us to arm in our own defense and have engaged us in a controversy so particularly abhorrent to the affections of your still faithful colonists, that when we consider whom we must oppose in this contest, and if it continues, what may be the consequences, our own particular misfortune are accounted for, us only as parts of our distress, he wrote. By phrasing this discontent this way, Congress attempted to notify the king that American colonists were unhappy with ministerial policy, not his own. Uh, They concluded that the plea with the final statement of fidelity to the crown, that your majesty may enjoy long and prosperous reign and that your descendants may govern your dominions with honor to themselves and happiness to their subjects, is our sincere prayer, he wrote. In July 1776, though, the Declaration of Independence proclaimed something very different. The history of the present king of uh, Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having a direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. In fact, Congress insisted that Thomas Jefferson remove any language from the Declaration that implicated the people of Great Britain or their elected representatives in Parliament. The fundamental grounds upon which Americans were taking up arms had shifted. The militia that had fired upon redcoats at Lexington and Concord in April of 1775 had been angry with Parliament, not the king, who was still trusted to desire only good for all their subjects around the globe. This belief changed after Congress learned that King George refused so much as to receive the Olive Branch petition. Americans had hoped that a parliament uh, had curtailed colonial rights without the king's full knowledge and that the petition would cause him to come to his subject's defense. When George III refused to read the petition, many Americans realized that parliament was acting with royal knowledge and support. Americans' uh, patriotic rage was further intensified by the January 1776 publication of English-born radical Thomas Paine of Common Sense, an influential pamphlet, I think about a half a million copies that were distributed and sold, that attacked the monarchy, which Paine claimed had allowed uh, crowned ruffians to impoverish the nation and set it together by the ears. So uh, there was there was loyalty to the king up until the end when they finally realized that uh, uh, all this that was happening was happening with his permission and consent, and therefore leading to the Declaration of Independence, the Olive Branch Petition. Well, despite a recent rally, stocks couldn't climb out of the deep hole they dug themselves in the early of uh, in the earlier in August, and all three major indexes finished August in the red. A report released yesterday showed that inflation is on the right trajectory back towards the 2% target, and this morning's jobs report is expected to show a labor market that's slowing down but remains on steady footing, exactly what the Fed wants to receive. So futurists right now are up a little bit, so it's good to see that uh, perhaps uh, all this insanity is winding down in a way that's supportive 
of only 2% inflation. We can only hope so. Well, a coalition of 1,609 scientists from around the world have signed a declaration stating there is no climate emergency and that they strongly oppose the harmful and unrealistic net-zero CO2 policy being pushed across the globe. That's stunning. The declaration does not deny the harmful effects of greenhouse gases, but instead challenges the hysteria brought about by the narrative of imminent doom. The declaration put together by the Global uh, Climate Intelligence Group, or CLINTEL, was made public by this month and urged that climate science should be less political while climate policies should be more scientific. Well said. CLINTEL is an independent foundation that operates in the fields of climate change and climate policy. Scientists should openly address uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real costs as well as the imagined benefits of their own policy measures, the declaration says. Boy, that's a voice of reason in an insane world right now, and I only hope that it can have some traction, but it doesn't look like it will. In fact, the Biden White House has adopted a government-wide policy to accelerate affordable, equitable, and efficient electrification of American homes, businesses, and transportation. Now, that's a quote. In other words, they want all energy needs that uh, power our $24 trillion economy to come from the electric grid. Can you believe that? Even an eighth grader should be able to recognize the dangers of putting all our energy eggs in one basket. If the grid goes down... We're toast. Absolutely. And the grid is in bad repair as well. Energy expert Robert Bryce wonders whether the White House stole the idea from the New York Times, which recently declared that, here's the quote, how electrifying everything became a key climate solution. Let's historically assume that we could create a grid system that would at least double or triple the power sector's capacity, which would be necessary to electrify our homes, our cars, our factories, our hospitals, schools, buses, trains, airplanes, cell phones, and you name it. The idea that the government could still make this affordable for low- and middle-income families is straight out of science fiction. Bryce examined the cost comparisons from Biden's own Department of Energy and found that homes using exclusively electricity for their heating, cooking, and air conditioning and appliances typically pay two to three times more than those who use natural gas. Even heating oil is much cheaper. So why transition America to so far to expensive energy? <laughs> well, maybe they're just trying to destroy the economy. Seems that that's the intent because it just continues on. And also, uh, on a different topic, former President Donald Trump on Thursday pled not guilty to 13 felony charges related to his alleged attempt to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. And while he waived his right to appear in court in Fulton County next week, Trump was scheduled to be arraigned in Georgia on September the 6th alongside 18 co-defendants on charges under the state's Racketeer Influence and Corruption Organization Act, known as RICO as well as charges of making false statements and soliciting a public official to violate the oath of office, among other things. Trump's waiver and not guilty plea filed Thursday by the former president, new attorney Steve Sadow, came as uh, several co-defendants in their cases already waived their arrangement and pleaded not guilty. The decision to skip the in-person arraignment prevents Trump from having any make to having to make a dramatic and potentially televised court appearance in Fulton County. After all, he's, he's already got his mugshot. As he prepares for the 2024 election, Trump also pleaded uh, not guilty to federal charges related to the 2020 election, as well as other federal charges for allegedly mishandling classified documents and New York State charges for falsifying business records. It's all bogus <clears throat> and so unfortunate. Weaponizing the uh, judicial system, it's uh, so unhealthy and uh, so bad for the nation. By the way, former President Trump's uh, campaign reported has amassed a $20 million in funds during the month of August. Can you imagine that? Surprisingly, even after being processed at the Fulton County Jail, which included a capture of a mugshot, he has managed to garner over $9.4 million. Despite the series of indictments and unprecedented occurrence of presidential mugshot, Trump's supporters persist in contributing to his campaign. Well, they see him as the last and best hope for saving the nation, frankly, and uh, I agree with that. 
Well, insurance claims in Florida stemming from Hurricane Idalia, which made historic landfall over the state's Gulf Coast as a Category 3 storm, are expected to cost billions of dollars, according to Reuters. In Florida, UBS Bank estimated average insurance losses of $9.36 billion. These estimates, based on August 28th data, include a 50% chance of losses over $4.05 billion and a 10% likelihood of losses of $25.6 billion, according to Reuters. The wide range reflected potential changes in the storm's intensity and path. By the way, Florida Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Patronis said in a recent interview that Hurricane Adalia took the best possible path for the state's insurance market. If there was a path that Adalia could take that was best output for at least the insurance market in Florida, it took it, and I'm grateful for it. So in other words, uh, a lot of people suffered as a result of uh, Adalia. But uh, the fact remains that the, the path of, of the storm took the... Uh, a path that was the least damaging to uh, property in the state of Florida. <clears throat> and by the way, a day after uh, Adalia hit the state of Florida as a Hurricane 3 storm, Tropical Storm Jose formed in the Atlantic. Forecasters are also watching two other areas for possible storm development. Jose formed in the name uh, into a named storm early Thursday morning. It's about 785 miles east southeast of Bermuda, with maximum sustained winds of about 40 miles an hour. So here we go again. This is a pretty active hurricane season, isn't it? We didn't expect to see storms uh, like we saw uh, with uh, Franklin and Adalia already in August. It usually happens in September or October. <clears throat> Well, the Biden administration committed to work with the state of New York on Wednesday to help fill job vacancies with migrants who are straining the city's social net safety net, according to a press release. Democrats, uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul, asked the uh, Biden administration on August the 24th to expedite work permits for immigrants who are flooding New York City, provide more funds to build shelters and reimburse the state for the cost of deploying the National Guard troops in the response to the migrant crisis. Uh, senior Biden administration officials met with Hochul on Wednesday, pledging to launch a campaign that will help migrants within the state apply for employment authorization. So I understand the, uh, really, it's a crisis in New York and New York City especially, with uh, tens of thousands of these unemployed people and living off the dole, actually. They're each getting $2,000 a month, as I understand it, or at least the families. And a place to live. It's unfortunate uh, that uh, we've come to this, but irrespective, it's happening, and uh, they're looking for some relief. This is not—I don't think anybody's take, keep, uh, keeping in mind the benefit or the uh, the needs for the American worker who's here legally and uh, meets all the requirements. Of their uh, unemployment benefits are less than the two thousand a month that are going to be received uh, by these migrants. More on that later in the show. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. 
Ulubi's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Ulubi's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hearing that Lulabee's Diner commercial... Green Tree Shopping Center reminds me they not only serve terrific breakfasts and lunches, but also Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. It's, they've got serving dinner. The menu is great, great value, and the food is just terrific. So I hope you stop by Lulubee's Dine at the Green Tree Shopping Center Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. for a great uh, dining experience. We have with us William Yeatman. He is a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. Terrific organization. PacificLegal.org is the website, PacificLegal.org. I hope you check it out. So let's talk about what's going on in Capitol Hill. Let's, uh, the things are kind of brewing towards, leading towards maybe a government shutdown over the budget. Uh, and what are your thoughts? Well, indeed. So it, it, by September 30th, unless Congress passes an appropriations measure, um, the government will shut down. So the clock is ticking. We only have 12 legislative days until the 30th. Um, I'll note here as a, as a decide, a relevant aside, that uh, Congress is only in session for about 45 percent of the working days of the year. So um, that they would only have 12 legislative days in, a, in an all-important, crucial September is uh, unfortunately all too common. Um, but the, the big news is that the GOP leadership in Congress is in disarray on spending measures. Um, so we've got McConnell and McCarthy basically blaming each other, each accusing the other of violating the debt ceiling limit deal, which uh, sets spending at about $1.5 trillion. Um, now, the basis of these accusations, uh, the House is intent upon passing a measure about $120 billion below that the $1.5 trillion in the debt ceiling um, uh, limit. However, the House intends to offset those cuts with uh, money that is clawed back unspent COVID funds. Mm -hmm. so, so there is a reason there. Um, the Senate, on the other hand, uh, McConnell is intent, um, along with the Democrats, of, in essence, ignoring the debt ceiling deal just by stuffing scores of billions of dollars in spending on the Ukraine and fuel subsidies and um, uh, various sundry other policies in uh, what is known as a supplemental spending bill. Um, so uh, between these two, uh, uh, between the House and the Senate, I mean, respectfully, I, I believe the House has a stronger case in terms of um, passing a measure in line with conservative principles. I mean, I think all you need to know about the Senate GOP's effort is that um, they're very much in line with what the Democrats want. And indeed, there is no, um, there's no limit, there's no uh, uh, responsibility, if you will, um, when they 
simply ignore the terms of this major debt ceiling deal, uh, deal by stuffing this supplemental measure full of scores of billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, but so we've got the GOP leadership at loggerheads. The Democrats are, of course, um, uh, uh, watching intently. I mean, this is something they support uh, in Ternicene conflict in the other caucus. And I have no idea how this will play out. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it seems likely that there will be some sort of stopgap measure passed by uh, on September 30th. And then if history is any guide, they're going to kick the can down to just before the holidays yeah. and then pass a massive 2,000-page bill that no one has read. Um, perhaps, uh, you know, moderate Senate Republicans, moderate House uh, Republicans, and then Democrats um, would be the political impetus behind it. But uh, it is I'll, I'll echo here something I've said on prior Fridays. Um, you know, they've done it again. Uh, yeah. This is unacceptable. They have again kicked the can down the road. Um, these sorts of issues should have been ironed out over the previous nine months, you know, since we passed the debt ceiling limit. Yeah. Um, so, frankly, this is unacceptable, and it's just a giant mess. I agree. Thank you, William. That's a great summary. Uh, and by the way, uh, just off topic a little bit, but, you know, we're, the Senate's kind of turning into the old folks' home, isn't it? I mean, you got Feinstein and now McConnell freezing up and Fetterman. <laughs> it seems to me we've got to reconsider term limits. It is well. I mean, I don't know whether or not term limits are the answer, um, but at the same time, <clears throat> and respectfully, I mean, I, I don't want... Um, I am concerned about anyone's health. I'm concerned, you know, that these are human beings. Yeah. Um, however, it does, you know, perhaps an injection of, of, of youth, of, of, of fresh leadership, of vitality um, would serve the Senate well. Well, let, let me put it a different way. We've the Right now, these folks are getting great incomes, and as you put it, for working 45 percent of the work days during the course of the year it's it's a plum and uh, they're taking advantage of it unfortunately so w what we need are people who are stewards of the nation who are going to make a sacrifice to to serve the country uh that i think that concept is long gone at this point unfortunately in my opinion alas so uh, let's move to trump litigation uh, the dc judge sets a trial date maybe you can tell us about it your listeners have no doubt um, have heard this. Uh, judge Tanya Ch uh, Chutkin um, set the trial date for March 4th. You know, that's, that's right on the eve of Super Tuesday. Um, this gets, I mean, you know, how convenient it, it takes, perhaps, you know, say what you will about Trump, but he's a fantastic retail politician, and this does effectively take him off the campaign trail um, were, this, uh, were this trial date to stick. And uh, I'll note this. While Trump is likely to appeal this decision, um, district court judges are given a great deal of discretion on these particular matters in, in terms of managing their own dockets. Um, so uh, uh, an appeal does face an uphill climb. I'll, again, this is something I've, I'll echo something I've said before. Um, you know, Jack Smith was appointed special counsel on November 18, 2022. So that's almost two years into Biden's presidency. And that is after the Department of Justice had declined to pursue this investigation. Um, so it, it just, why do they wait two years? Yeah. Um, you know, it certainly seems the timing lined up quite perfectly for the president's political interest when it comes to 2024. Um, so just the whole thing stinks. This, uh, uh, again, no man is above the law, but there are prudential concerns with this entire prosecution, with all these prosecutions. Um, and I've discussed these on many prior Fridays. And, and this administration, President Biden has given them no heed. And, you know, frankly, this is a constitutional quandary, if not a crisis. Yeah. Um, we've got the presumptive leader, the, the, the presumptive candidate for the Republicans, for one of the two major political parties in 2024. And he's on trial, um, uh, you know, at the hands of, of, of his opponent administration, of his opponent, uh, a political foe. Um, and that trial is going to take place uh, during the entire campaign if yeah. this judge has her, has her druthers. So that is from a 60,000 or from a bird's eye perspective, that's just constitutionally troubling. Um, so it is uh, it, it reeks. It, it does. It's uh, it's it's election interference, quite frankly, pure and simple. Now, I will say this. Uh, Trump was able to turn the mugshot into something that was spectacular for his campaign. I have no doubt that Super Tuesday is going to say all the information, all the focus is going to be on Trump of that March 4th uh, date sticks. 
He, I agree with that, and in, in echoing what you just said, um, be careful what you want. I mean, I guess would be my admonishment to yeah. uh, the forces behind these sorts of prosecutions. <clears throat> Trump was at his most popular um, when he was impeached the first time. I mean, there's this tendency for the American electorate to rally around someone they feel is being unfairly treated. Um, so it, it, it is whether or not all these political... Uh, I'll say it, what seem to be politicized prosecutions, um, whether or not they boomerang back in uh, the Democrats' face, that remains to be seen, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, indeed. Before I let you go, uh, Biden's got some aliases, or, and he's sending out emails under uh, alias uh, email addresses, 5,000, oh, 5,400, I think, 5,200. Any thoughts? <laughs> I mean, it speaks for itself. More than 5,000 emails. Um, pursuant to these uh, uh, three-odd alias accounts. Um, as of now, we don't know what's in them. Today is the deadline for the National Archives to respond to Representative James Comer, who is the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, to his demands to see unredacted copies of these emails. Um, it, it, is, it seems likely, uh, given recent history, that the National Archives <clears throat> is going to drag its, drag its feet, if not obfuscate, um, however, Congress has plenary investigatory powers here, so I do expect Comer to get to the bottom of this. And uh, I'm keen on on what's knowing. Uh, I'm keen on knowing what's in those emails. Yeah, me too. You know, uh, and these are unelected officials, by the way. These people in the archives. So how they could ops, uh, you know, uh, ignore this kind of a request is beyond me. So we'll see how this plays out. William Yateman, again, senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. Check out Pacific Legal org. William, I really appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Ryan Young. He's a senior uh, economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Gulf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Gulf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions... Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Ryan Young. He is a senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. Uh, thank you, Ryan. And uh, tell us about the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We are a think tank in Washington, D.C., and we cover all things regulatory, 
everything from financial regulation to in you know, I've been looking forward to our conversation, Ryan, because I, I heard news that uh, the Chinese government, and maybe it's not the Chinese government, maybe it's just Evergrande, it's, that would be the real estate firm conglomerate in China, is uh, right now in default and may uh, not be able to pay $7 trillion, and I'm not sure if that's to the federal government, to uh, investors, to hedge funds, or what it might be, but that sounds very distressing. Yeah, it's a symptom of still larger problems in the Chinese economy. Uh, they have one of the world's worst demographic situations, um, and it's, it's starting to come to roost. They have a declining population now thanks to their one-child policy uh, that was enacted in the 70s and 80s. They have a debt problem that's worse than ours, the Evergrande default back in 2021 and the Country Garden default that's about to happen right now are both symptoms of that larger problem. Um, their government insists on ownership stakes and having a say in a lot of private business decisions. They have debt problems that dwarf anything that we went through in the 2008 financial crisis. China's not doomed. Uh, people are resilient and they'll find a way through this, but uh, it, this is one more sign that China is not exactly the juggernaut that some people are scared of. Yeah. It, it was troubling also to me is to see that we have people going now over to China with the possibility of bailing out the Chinese economy. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's sending bad money after good. I, I, that's not something I would do. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. So, uh, well, can you estimate or cala uh, calibrate in any way uh, the impact that this could have on the world economy and on us? Fortunately, it looks like it won't be uh, that contagious to the rest of the economy. It's mostly an internal problem in China. Ah. Um, real estate accounts for about a quarter of their entire GDP, and the trouble is a lot of that is based on a bubble. So a lot of the scary you know, financial numbers that make China look like a juggernaut are inflated real estate values. Um, part of that's because of a mass migration from farms to cities. Um, but also part of that is we've all seen videos on the Internet of giant empty skyscraper cities and skylines that are completely uninhabited. Um, yeah. That's not how you plan cities. That's the governments find, find that they're fond of big projects that turn out not to pan out. We're going to see something similar with their big, uh, uh, big brick and road initiative in the future years as more of the debt comes due and more of the white elephants turn out to be shams. You know, I, I, opportunity here to, to underscore the importance of private markets and allowing consumers and pricing, the price theory to uh, determine what happens in an economy. And with all the central planning that's gone on with the Chinese Communist Party, it's leading to devastating results. That's exactly right. Industrial policy is in vogue with both parties here in America right now. And I really hope they pay close attention to what's happening in China because in the long run, uh, Evergrande defaults, the Country Garden default, and the Brick and Road Initiative that's turning into a disaster are all what happens when you have industrial policy in your economy. You need those free markets. You need that price system exactly like you were talking about. Well, thank you, Ryan. And I must say, too, I've also heard that the, the information we're getting out of China is not reliable. Even that the, the estimate of 1.3 billion people uh, in China might be an overestimation. It might be as little as 800 million people. Not, you know, not that that's a big effect on the American economy, but nevertheless, can we trust what we hear from China? You can trust that the big picture is not that rosy. Um, yeah. At the same time, I don't buy any narratives that are going around that the government's going to collapse because of all these problems anytime soon. It's, I think the truth is more in the middle ground. But yeah. Yeah, as an example, youth unemployment in China um, recently reached 21% according to official statistics. Yeah. And that's bad enough where the government just said, we're not going to report this anymore. We're not even going to collect the data or publish it. So, yeah, do treat the statistics with care. Thank you, Ryan. So let's move to the uh, borders of the United States here. And uh, apparently information is coming in that uh, perhaps uh, the Fed is uh, actually getting some results with regard to its anti-inflation uh, push. That's right, although they do have, still have some work to do. Uh, just yesterday, new numbers came out uh, on inflation from the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures. That's what the Fed uses to track inflation. They don't use the CPI that most people track and that you see in the news. Mm. Uh, and that came down to, I believe, 3.2%, which is still 
50% above their 2% target. So they still have some work to do. They will meet again in about three weeks to make another interest rate decision. Uh, between that, economic growth still being healthy and the labor market still being pretty healthy, I would expect that the Fed might do another rate increase mm. uh, to help slow down inflation. They need to keep doing that until inflation does get down to their 2% target. So I can pretty much guarantee we're not going to go back to 9% uh, inflation. We're not going to see another repeat of uh, the 1970s stagflation. But yes, the Fed still has some work to do. Well, you know, uh, counter to that, uh, the uh, consumer sentiment apparently is dropping uh, substantially. We see people living off of their credit cards, not having uh, savings. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of indications that things are not going so well in the economy, perhaps even indications of recession. What are your thoughts? I don't think there's going to be a recession. Um, the economy is not perfect, but it, at the same time, it does have decent underlying health. There's no financial crisis. There's no housing bubble, anything like what there is in China. Um, pretty much all the economic fundamentals are in decent shape. Not spectacular, but decent shape. Uh, so the risk of recession, I'd say, is very low. Um, and consumer sentiments uh, is frankly always pessimistically biased it's it's astounding uh, when even during a boom uh you know three quarters of the population will think that the economy is in recession huh. so so just you know people always just see the news it's nothing but doom and gloom and war and famine and murder um and that colors the way that people think about the economy but what you contrast that with how people view their own situation how am i now how am i going to be in 10 years People are more realistic and more optimistic about their own situation. They just see what's in the news and think that the world is going to heck in a handbasket. Yeah. On the other hand, my, my personal assessment, though, the job of this, you know, the, the Biden administration is not staying in its own lane. Too many policies have to do with free markets, and it's really polluting uh, what could be a much healthier and stronger economy. Yeah, their policies, um, along with their Republican colleagues, are posing enormous opportunity costs on what we can achieve here in America. Um, everything from tariffs that are closing off supply chains and causing people to reroute to licensing regulations that make it impossible to start up a business, uh, permitting and environmental regulations that make it impossible to build housing or new energy infrastructure that we need. Um, the economy somehow is still growing despite all this, but things could be much better than they are right now. Again, uh Ryan, uh, Ryan Young, uh, senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. I hope you check out. I think the uh, web website is competitive. Is it CEI.org? It's CEI.org. CEI.org. Ryan, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education and a liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They get the politics and know the policy. They help prepare newly elected officials and veterans as well uh, to have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture, author of many books, about a dozen, I would say, and also uh, writes a column at Newsmax.com. It's called uh, On Point. Months in the uh, wide-ranging investigation of the First Family's finances, House Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer has seen enough to convince him that Joe Biden was the most corrupt vice president in history, and he believes the Republican colleagues are moving closer to supporting an impeachment inquiry. In a wide-ranging interview Wednesday with Just the News, which if you haven't uh, paid attention to that website, it's worth, worth checking out. That they, they provide quality input and information uh, with regard to the news. Comer said evidence his committee has gathered shows Biden has lied about several key aspects of his family business when he, as vice president, abused the power of his office to take his son Hunter Biden on Air Force Two so he could prospect for the foreign business deals and had no business withholding $1 billion in U.S. loan guarantees in uh, 2015 to force Ukraine to fire its chief prosecutor, who just happened to be probing the Burisma Holdings firm paying the vice president's son. <clears throat> Every day, the evidence continues to grow that would support impeachment. The Kentucky Republican told Just the News, no noise television show. I don't think any vice president in the history of America would uh, was more corrupt than Joe Biden. And certainly, we're concerned that all the corruption that has benefited from his family uh, benefited from while he was vice president could have tainted his presidency and made him vulnerable made our country vulnerable, and made him compromised. I think that's definitely the case. As to whether Republicans can muster enough votes to uh, on the House floor to approve an impeachment inquiry, this fall, Comer said, many of us in Congress are already there. We've seen enough, but with respect to my role as chairman, the House Oversight Committee, we're in charge of bringing out all the evidence. He said his next step was to force the disclosure of the personal bank, credit card, and phone records of Joe and Hunter Biden to see how much financial benefit the current president may have derived from his family's foreign exploits. Hunter Biden is quoted in text messages recovered from his laptop that he diverted as much as half of his earnings to his powerful father. And apparently those numbers uh, that are up to as much as $50 million, if you can believe that. Joe Biden has denied receiving any benefit from his son's businesses, even though after emails emerged showing Hunter Biden has paid some of his personal bills as vice president. That's why we're continuing the investigation, Comer said, and we're going to try to get all the bank records and all the email correspondence that Joe Biden is pertaining to the shady business transactions his family was involved in, in for with foreign nationals. The chairman also reacted to exclusive reporting by Just the News last week, uh, revealing that Joe Biden took uh, the opposite action that was recommended when he threatened to withhold $1 billion of U.S. loan guarantees to force Ukraine to fire prosecutor Victor Shokin. Biden said he did it because the U.S. policy was show that showed that uh, Shokin was corrupt. But State Department records show the U.S. sent a letter to Shokin saying it was impressed with his office's work and career state, justice, and treasury officials have recommended Biden give the Ukraine loan guarantee because Shokin had made adequate progress in fighting corruption and reforming the judicial system. 
that in and of itself is so damning. It's unbelievable. Uh, he lied, <clears throat> basically saying that Shokin was a crook or, or was inadequate, not doing his job. With respect to this investigation, there was never any evidence that we can find that would suggest that Shokin was corrupt. Comer said, the only thing that we could find on Shokin is that he was investigating corruption and he was investigating Burisma, which was a corrupt energy company that Joe Biden's son was getting paid millions of dollars to serve on the board. Beyond the conflict of interest, Comer said, Biden's intervention in Ukraine appeared to be interference in the internal affairs of another country. I've been studying and will still studying uh, and doing the research, but I've never found a time when anyone from the United States in a leadership position went to a foreign country and tried to withhold foreign and aid in exchange for terminating an individual, he said. Now I've heard where people go to foreign countries and say, you're going to have to reduce your carbon emissions or you're going to have to stop selling arms to a certain countries that may be uh, trying to attack Israel, or you may need to watch your business transactions with China, but never, hey, you never need to fire your prosecutor who's investigating my son's energy company. That's never happened before, nor should it ever happen again. And I think that's just, this is where the investigation is over. We're going to pass major legislation that defines influence peddling and bans it forever, said Comer. Here, here. He's doing a good job. We should be moving to an uh, impeachment inquiry sooner than later. All right, coming up, Larry Bell, a Dowd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. I proudly served as board chairman of Golf Shore Playhouse for 15 years, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, it's always a great pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. I appreciate that. And uh, you also write a column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. I think it comes out a couple times a week, two or three times a week. And your latest is, we can't change weather, but can the hysteria over it? Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, Bob. Um, you know, of course, we're thinking of you in Florida this past week with uh, the hurricane and so on. And uh, 
you know, every time there's a hurricane, you know, and we, I live in Houston, as you know, and uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of foreboding and dread and trauma, you know, certainly is, they're not to be taken lightly, but, but the notion that they're occurring more frequently or they're more severe is absolute nonsense. And, and anyone bothering to check the, the you know, the, the records would know that. And I think probably they, they do. And so we see so much misinformation and, and it, to me, it's just appalling that we hear this information about the, you know, the climate change is causing all this stuff and so on. And, and anybody that had any integrity at all and any diligence at all would look at the records and say, well, absolutely not. This is not true. Uh, um, you know, there was, you know, this, this past century has been actually quite mild compared to the previous one. And, we can look at it in terms of, you know, numbers of deaths, and in particular, I'm looking at the U.S. Um, you know, the the number number of casualties. We can look at, you know, the the, you know, the costs in terms of, you know, buildings and infrastructure and so on, and and we can look at things like record rainfalls and and et cetera, et cetera. We can even look at, at the issue of of fires, you know, forest fires and so on, which is a totally separate issue. And again, it's misreported. Um, and I, I find it just so disturbing. I, I even hate writing about it because it's, it's disturbing to have to correct this echo chamber of false information. And, you know, if you look at, you know, the major hurricanes, you know, <clears throat> turn of the last century, you know, at Galveston, they lost... You know, 12,000 people died yeah. in a hurricane. And, of course, population shifts have made a difference. You know, if if that had, if that hurricane had hit, you know, since today with the population, the casualties are, of course, much, much higher. And, and, and it doesn't take a major hurricane with big winds to cause enormous damage because, you know, a, a tropical storm is moving slowly that sweeps a whole lot of water and causes horrendous flooding problems and so but but it's it's really upsetting uh first of all there's 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 virtually no uh, uh, science supporting the notion that warming causes more of these events that's just absolutely not true and 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 uh i'm writing i have an article coming out today there's 1,600 uh, international scientists that have uh, put out a declaration that there's no climate emergency. Yeah, and and I'm I'm one of the signatories. I've written a couple of books at the urgings of the the founder of the U.S. Weather Satellite Service and also the the Weather Channel co-founder and John Coleman and so on. So I I claim to know a little bit about this stuff, and I've written a lot of articles, but but. Um, there's so much misinformation, and it's it's international, and it's driven by uh, you know all kinds of agendas. Mostly, you know, they have money attached to them and subsidies for windmills and solar panels and electric vehicles. Uh, but it's just egregious, and and uh, you know it also ties to the notion of forest fires. And here in the U.S., it's land management, and and really the the culprit is. Uh, is in so-called environmentalists that don't allow you know dry tender to be cleared and so on. They want to leave the forest natural, but natural means dead trees and brush and and stuff that catches on fire and and power lines going from some solar farm somewhere you know hundreds of thousand miles that uh, get caught in the wind and spark and cause cause fires and so on. If lightning wasn't bad enough, so, so, uh, you know, I, I find this whole conversation really upsetting. Well, your voice is so important, Professor. I mean, you, if, if I recall, I'm operating from memory now. But you wrote a book called that I've read, uh, "Climate of Corruption: uh, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom." One of my favorites, and so revealing with regard to this whole mo- movement towards climate change. And uh, it, the sad thing about this is it's. It's hurting our economy. We see the actions and the decisions that are made. 
It's hurting our energy production. It's hurting our uh, pricing, inflation. It's, it's affected so many different things, all based on a theory that's it hasn't been proven to be true. Well, it's it's even worse than that. That you know the agenda is behind this. You know, it really started with the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It started with you know they wanted to, you know they wanted wealth redistribution and passed the Kyoto Protocol. This was back in the late '80s and early '90s, and and um, and you know it was a really agenda driven, and they. They needed something. They needed fingers on the thermostat they could blame for this. And we had, we had three. We had, had three hour, three decades, which is a climate cycle of cooling following World War Two. Mm-hmm. We put all this carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and three decades of cooling. And you know, by the late seventies, they were predicting this ice age was coming. And you know, uh, you know, New York Times and all the major magazines and scientific journals and voices, the echo chamber then was, you know, <clears throat> ice age is coming, and even they blamed carbon dioxide for it. And then 10 years later, you know, 1988, Gore has his uh, hearings in the Senate, and oh my gosh, the world's on fire. We had a heat wave. They scheduled the hearings on the, on the warmest day of the summer. They checked with the Weather Bureau. <laughs> opened the, they opened the windows the night before. The window was really hot. They get James Hansen, who was head of the Goddard Institute for Space Studies, and he was a real climate psycho, and, and, and everybody in NASA you know, thinks that. You know, the, you know, so many so many top-level NASA people have decried the false information that came out of that organization. And even they now, you know, the, the, the director that replaced Hansen um, has said, you know, these climate models, you know, it's, it's, it's lunacy to trust them for policy because... You know, they they just aren't they just aren't accurate, and you know they've been overheated for for some time, and even even the intergovernmental panel on climate change admits that now. So we're we're basing policies that are just like you say destroying our energy systems that we rely on, uh, replacing with you know try to replace them with we get eight more than eight percent of our our energy from from fossil energy. Yeah, uh, we get maybe three percent out of wind and solar, and I think that's, I think that's a jacked up thing because I think th- these companies get paid whether the whether the energy is used or not, and and it's not when you need it often, and, and it's intermittent, and on and on and on. You have to have a spinning reserve to back it up because it's intermittent, and so on. So we're 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 creating a, and we're putting all this unreliable energy, all this like elect- this electricity. On, on on ancient grids that can't handle it. At the same time, they want to pack the grid with electric vehicles that that rely on rare earth materials from from China and the Congo, where you know they're they're mined by slave labor and child labor. And why 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 do we get the rare earths there? Well, not that we don't have them. Right. Again, the environmentalists say, well, gee, we don't want to pollute this pollute the environment. So we have, we have one when one place. Where we where we mine these rare earth materials in the U.S., we send the darn stuff to to China for processing. Oh, uh, really? And then bring it back on a ship. You know uh, how insane does this have to get? Yeah, I know. You know, if carbon dioxide is a trace element in, in our atmosphere, and it just occurs to me if people are concerned about too much carbon dioxide, which, by the way, we've, if I understand correctly, we've actually had uh, many more times the amount of carbon dioxide in our environment and our atmosphere than we have right now but if we're concerned about that why don't we just plant a billion trees <laughs> get more photosynthesis going i don't know if that's a legitimate uh solution or not but what are your thoughts carbon dioxide first of all is plant food and 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 ask any greenhouse you know any, any place that grows plants they put it on carbon dioxide on and it's particularly helpful in desert plants because because it enables the plants to retain water and they don't even they don't aspirate all uh, as much water out, so so we've seen tremendous greening, you know. But but also the other thing is people don't understand carbon dioxide. Uh, the, the effects of its absorption of, of ultraviolet and so on is is reversed logarithmically. Now that's a big way of saying that every molecule you put in has has half the has half the absorption of the previous one. Uh. So it's not like it's not linear. You know the more you know, you reach a point where we're we're virtually saturated as far as the effects of 
carbon dioxide and warming. If if warming's bad, but on the other hand, many times more people die of cold than they do of warm. And yeah. warm weather means longer growing seasons. Carbon dioxide means greener plants. It means Bambi is you know Bambi is happy. The little bunny rabbits are happy, and and we we you know I don't want to think we eat Bambi, but you know we you know everybody, everybody prospers and yeah and uh, it's abs- it's absolutely upside down. Uh, you know, it's it's insane. So I just encourage our, our listeners to go to Newsmax.com, check out the, uh, Professor Larry Bell's column, On Point, his latest, We Can't Change Weather But Can Change Hysteria Over It. Uh, Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank my, you. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got a great show lined up for Monday as well, and we will be broadcast even though it's Labor Day. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast and a great weekend as well, or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>